you found the Digging Oak Island podcast, the podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you guys so much for downloading and listening. If you have been listening to and enjoying our little podcast, please consider helping this show out by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. Right before we get started here with the podcast, let me get in a quick plug for the Patreon page. Right off the top, if you think this podcast is worth five bucks a month to you, that's it, five bucks a month, and you would like to see the podcast keep going strong, please consider becoming a patron of our show. Go to patreon.com slash Island and sign up. Patrons get exclusive access to a live chat during the U.S. broadcast of each new episode of The Curse of Oak Island. And that chat really is just so much fun. So come and join us. Let's welcome today our new patron, Michael. Sir, it is our pleasure to have you as part of the Diggin' Oak Island family. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Uh, and thank you so much for being part of the family. Welcome again. Folks, you can go to patreon.com slash Island to sign up, support the podcast. Five bucks a month. You can cancel anytime. Also, if you prefer not to do the monthly thing, I get that. You can also make a one-time donation to the podcast via Venmo. Just use the username at Dave McBride Music. I am a musician by trade, and that is my virtual tip jar, so to speak. So uh, that's the best way you could do that, at Dave McBride Music on Venmo. All right. As always, we are going to start today's podcast with emails and messages from you guys, the listeners. And here's one from our friend Marie who writes, first off, congratulations on the new job. I hope you love it. I just saw the latest episode of The Curse of Oak Island. Well, first of all, thank you, Marie. Uh, yes, I do love it. And also, uh, I just want to point out that before we go on here, that when you talk about the latest episode, you mean not last night's or not this week's, but the previous week's. Because I always do these uh, emails as anything that came in before I saw the latest episode of The Curse of Oak Island. So uh, your emails will come in, they'll get read the next week or, uh, you know, for the next show. The only uh, stuff I include for the real time, you know, for this episode this week would be comments on the Patreon chat. So if you want to get your uh, comments to be part of the episode review, you got to do that by becoming a patron. There's another plug. Anyway, thank you, Marie. She continues. The line from cone C to cone A is supposed to lead to the treasure in the money pit. But then why the necessity for the entire cross? Why the other large stones? Maybe there's a deposit under each stone that that's so if one treasure was ever found, only a portion of the entire treasure would be taken. And has anybody looked under the rock with a face on it? Thank you, Marie. Marie, that is some fantastic logic right there. It really is. Why bother hauling these humongous rocks into place when they don't mean anything? That's a question a theorist needs to answer. Now, of course, there's been many a theory about the cross that includes all of the stones, right? Some obviously now that don't. Are they all correct? And just quickly, when it comes to the astronomical alignment stuff, which we're going to talk about in this week's episode, um, I'm a little dubious. 
because I just don't understand what the purpose of it is of making an astronomical alignment out of all this. I don't understand what you get for that. I mean, you know, that's a great mystery and one that I don't think seems to have a practical application for what was going on in this mystery, as opposed to uh, other mysteries like Stonehenge, where the astronomical alignment could help you explain what the whole purpose of the thing is. I don't see how an astronomical alignment essentially makes any sense in burying a treasure. I, I, I have not been given any any uh, theory yet that kind of explains that. So why go through anyway? Anyway, you buried an ancient treasure with an elaborate booby trap system at an incredible expense and effort. And then you went through yet another Herculean task of lining up these boulders with the stars for whatever purpose exactly. Again, what's the practical application? Those questions, those things need to be answered by the theorist. Now, has anyone turned these boulders over? As far as I know, no, they haven't. The history of the cross and Nolan's discovery of it is, like a lot of things with Fred Nolan, clouded in a certain level of mystery and for whatever reason. Since Fred's passing and the involvement of Tom's son in the search, there's been no serious or intense examination of the cross and its boulders. In my mind, it is high time that Laginas correct this and really do some work on finding out the validity of it and showing us as much as we can possibly learn about Nolan's cross, especially now that we're getting into uh, it again and again here, it seems. Great email, Marie. Thank you, as always. And let me add this on the subject. Uh, Chris Morford produced a short follow-up video that adds quite a bit of information that was cut out of his presentation in last week's episode. Our friend Jim in Iowa sent it in, and I think I've already posted it over on our Facebook page for you guys to check out and see on your own. It's really interesting stuff. I do suggest going over and seeing that. Again, thank you so much, Marie. Let's go now to an old friend of ours, Steve, who writes, Dave, TGIF, and thanks for another uh, enjoyable podcast episode. I know that usually we attribute things like this to if you never hear about it again, but unlike Frozen, I'm having a hard time letting it go. Oh, you should start writing uh, uh, titles for the episode, Steve. You're, you're fitting right in with that group. Anyway, a few episodes back. Sorry, I'm bad about remembering episode numbers. Your other listeners can chime in and help. They pulled that chain contraption out of the spoils they were generating from digging into the shore road, which, as we know, was built in the 1900s. Everyone oohed and odd about it, with Clotworthy being given the task of proclaiming it a potentially important discovery, probably also proclaiming it ancient, right? Later, they had Carmen Legg look at it, and I'm paraphrasing, he declared, well, this part is old, but this part is modern and machine-made. Then we never heard about it again. To me, this deflates the claimed importance of anything they're finding tearing into that road. Carmen's find would tell me that the guys building the road either found or just had an old chain mechanism and added onto it. Or it ended there by coincidence. Either way, it was not used to lift the Ark of the Covenant onto Oak Island. Related, why show it to us at all? I mean, they should assume that there are some pretty smart people, not me, but other people, and certainly not me either, Steve, uh, watching the show, and they know before the show is edited and aired that the item, like the swagger sticks uh, and the sw swagger stick lipstick cover and the Roman pylons, isn't important. It even signals to the astute and intelligent viewer that they have so little to show us that they'll resort to show us artifacts that they know aren't important just to have something to show us. Finally, 
the amount of material, dirt, rocks, etc., that would be needed to build that shore road, I played around on Google Maps and measured it to be about 800 feet long or about 0.15 miles, plus however high it is, would be very significant. And in the 1900s, probably came from the island itself. So to me, it wouldn't be all that surprising to find pottery and other bits in the spoils. They probably dug all over the island and hauled the dirt to the burgeoning road. Whatever was in the scoop ended up in the road. An archaeologist nightmare. Just my two cents, Steve. And let me add this, Steve. Look at how many people have dug in the money pit over the years, pulling rocks and all sorts of stuff out of there, and then dumping all of this into different places around the money pit area, around this very exact area. Doesn't it make sense that these so-called spoils might also have been used to inadvertently make this road? And can't that explain the presence of what Dr. Spooner last week called non-beach stones in the swamp? Steve, I think all of this is kind of a new phenomenon, right? This insistence of having something to some sort of find, however dubious it ends up being, right? In each and every episode. This wasn't always the case on the show, but it is now. And it's hard to see why they've stuck to it so insistently after it has caused them so much consternation, especially among the fan base. For whatever reason, it just doesn't get to me that, uh, I just don't get it, that, you know, why they do this. It just doesn't, I don't know, but I can absolutely see why some viewers would take it almost as insulting sometimes. I don't, but I know people do. It was really hard to swallow the ox shoes a couple of years back, right? (laughs) To, To continuously be excited about the presence of an ox shoe one after another. Um, I think it would be great if they showed us the stuff and especially things like the Roman pylum and, you know, this chain last week and would be willing to say, well, That's probably modern. Oh, well, thought it was cool, but it isn't. No one would mind that, honestly, really. And and it would also kind of serve to add to the importance of those things that actually are mysterious and old, right? It's kind of like a ghost hunter. (laughs) You know, the best way they can add to their credibility is when they conclude there isn't a ghost here because the walls are creaking because of the wind or whatever it might be, right? They got to add a little bit of that here, I think, for some people because... This whole idea that everything is mysterious is kind of running a little thin for people, right? Anyway, instead the opposite happens and people start to doubt just about everything and it becomes this sort of boy who cried wolf phenomenon. Anyway, thank you, Steve. Great points in there as always. All right, let's head across the pond and hear from Lee in Scotland who writes, Hi, Dave. Hope you and the family are doing well. Just a few points. One, One of your listeners in the last episode mentioned only 20 episodes this season. I really hope this isn't the case, as the season is getting better as it goes on for me. I would be surprised if it it was and didn't have Corey and Maul and Chris Morford, uh, because they said in your podcast that they are in this season for a trip to Europe. If they squeeze this into just five episodes to go, when the next episode clip didn't mention it, and of course we know now that it was not part of this episode, um, you know, they put it all in four, just four episodes. Uh, let me just stop here a little bit. Lee, uh, I kind of chopped that up a little bit, but you're, uh, we're going to talk about this particular one at the end. I'll, I'll mention it a little bit as well, but we're going to come to that. Okay. Uh, two, you wrote seeing Rick and Marty getting sentimental about the whole journey and seeing how excited Rick is at the bottom of the garden shaft was priceless. Great to see three. Finally, 
seeing how hard that work looked in the garden shaft and the conditions Dumas are working in, hats off to them, it must be tough. I know someone mentioned before whether Dumas regretted taking this project on due to the flooding, etc., but I don't think so. They're getting paid probably a good amount, worldwide TV coverage, and ultimately they will sort any issues and get to the target depth. They also all look emotionally invested in the dig. Keep up the good work on the podcast, Lee, in Scotland. Okay, Lee, I'm going to go backwards on all these things here again. Um, first, I think the jury is out on whether or not Dumas is happy that this all ended up on television. Of course, they knew that going in, but uh, you know whether or not they're happy that the world gets to see it all. Let's see how it ends here first, right? There is a lot to go, including a hurricane. So let's sit tight on that one. And yes, watching the brothers in the garden shaft is without doubt incredible for those of us who've invested so many years uh, into this show. And again, on that little point at the end, the show ending in 20 episodes, I can't say yes or no on this, but it certainly seems like it could be correct. Again, more on that later. Great stuff, Lee. Thank you very much. Keep those emails coming. All right. Let's continue our little tour around the world. I thought Scotland was far, but you can't get any further than this one. Here is Ben in New Zealand who writes, Hi, Dave. I am addicted to the mystery of Oak Island. I absolutely love your show. Thank you, sir. Uh, for the last few years, I have been I have listened to it while driving back from a hard day's boat fishing in my faraway paradise called New Zealand. It helps keep me awake during the long drive home, and it's a pleasant way to stew over the Oak Island mystery. I have some thoughts on Zena's map, Zena Halpern's map. I find the date on the map and the date carved into the brick stone in the maybe Templar's hidden cavern temple very interesting, and it seemed to have been passed over too easily. To me, it's one heck of a coincidence to have the exact same dates in both. Has anyone looked back at the date to see what happened during that year to find any connections to the Templar theory? I know there were plenty of Freemasons around back in the day, but so many famous ones are part of the mystery. There has to be a connection with Freemasons and the Templars and the treasure. A future president of America doesn't just rock up and dig for treasure without some hard evidence of it being there. I think Zena's map is true, but not an original. The original would have been way better detailed and written. Zena's map is a hurried copy. If I had any original treasure map on a sailing ship or elsewhere, as soon as I left the room and maybe the owner's presence, I would try and scribble down on a piece of paper the map I had just observed. It would look like Zena's map, bad spelling, roughly drawn, and maybe not understanding any French. Just get it on paper ASAP before you forgot what you saw. What do you think? Just my take on it. And maybe someone in the know could dig deeper. Excuse the pun. Again, love your podcast. Regard ben, regards Ben in Marlborough, New Zealand. Ben, listen. I love your enthusiasm towards the map. I do. And I've said many, many times, I love Rick Laguna's as well. The problem is that many a scientist has said to me on more than one occasion that considering Oak Island's location, its size, and geology, the island in those years, um, almost a millennium ago, would not look anywhere near what it looks like now and therefore would not look at all like what it looks on the map. That's a big problem. That and all the problems that pretty much prove that it is not an authentic and old map and at best a copy of one is why I am really, really lukewarm on the subject of this map. I don't think it takes the Templars out. I have other reasons and other theories on that, uh, but I don't think it's at all related to what we're seeing here. I mean, listen, your story could be spot on for all I know. 
But the first thing we need to prove, your story about it being, uh, you know, uh, somebody discovering it from an owner and then quickly scribbling it down. Um, you know, you could be right about that. But we first need to prove before giving any of that time, uh, we need to prove that the information on the map is authentic, period authentic and correct and important. As of this point, what I can tell you with as much certainty as I can tell you on something like this is that we're nowhere near anything resembling proof here on this subject. It's great stuff, Ben. Listen, I'm no authority. If you think I'm wrong about this, let's have at it, man. Let's talk. I'm just a podcaster, right? Uh, I'd be willing to discuss this over and over again. Zena's map is a big part of all of this stuff, certainly of, all, of the show and of Rick Lagina. I just have not seen enough to make me think it is related at all and really worth looking into. Not yet. Maybe somebody proves that. I don't know. All the best, my friend. Thank you for writing in from so far away. All right. Finally, let's head north to Canada and hear from Don, who says, Hi, Dave. Love the podcast. I watch the show every week, and I still enjoy it, even though I have gotten a little jaded with the production and presentation. I like following their progress, and this season has dug up some interesting questions, pun intended. <laughs> While many people roll their eyes at some of the wild speculation that this that happens on the show, I enjoy the crackpot theories, especially for the entertainment value. I mean, that's how people like the Laginas became treasure hunters, reading about these clues and finds and daydreaming about what if they were true. Along those lines, pun intended again, I enjoyed Chris Morford's theory about connecting the points on Nolan's cross and the drilled stones and following that to the money pit. Even more intriguing when it leads them almost right on top of the garden shaft. I only have one issue with this theory. I have a hard time believing that in all the decades that he spent on Oak Island, Fred Nolan didn't think of that. He studied Nolan's cross extensively. He found the drilled stones, and he was the professor, professional surveyor. He surveyed and plotted every angle, landmark, and point of interest on that island and on the cross, and somehow missed the drilled stones perfectly lining up with two points on the cross, and that line runs through the money pit? I guess that's even, I guess that anything is possible, even Templar tre treasure buried on Oak Island. Anyway, thanks for the podcast. Keep up, keep up the great work, Don, in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Don, that is a great point. I don't disagree. Nolan was a surveyor. That was what brought him to the island. That was his job. So you can bet your buns, man, that he plotted and followed all of those lines all over the island, just like you said. And he probably found out that these drilled stones were somehow lining up with those two stones. I can't imagine he didn't. The thing is, before last year, Nolan would have thought, I would think, that a line that intersects the garden shaft would have missed the money pit. The garden shaft is an old searcher shaft that didn't find any treasure. So it was filled in and then turned into a memorial. That's how unimportant the garden shaft was considered before the last couple of years. So if Nolan did plot these lines, I think he would have thought nothing of it because it intersected the garden shaft, which in his mind was nothing important. It was too far north and too far east to go to get towards where they perceive the money pit to be. I hope that answers that makes sense. Again, just a theory, the best I can come up with for you. All right, folks, that's going to do it. Uh, anyway, thank you so much, Don, for writing in. That's going to do it for this week's emails. Don't forget, if you have any questions or comments, send them along to me at diggingoakisland at gmail.com.
right, it's time now to discuss Season 11, Episode 16 of The Curse of Oak Island called On Target. I'm actually going to start today over at Lot 5, which is going to be super, super quick. So let's just get that out of the way here. We see only maybe one or two scenes at the most from Lot 5. And in them, Gary is detecting the spoils of the archaeological excavation of the circular foundation. And he points out and he pulls out of the dirt two buttons, which he says can be silver or pewter. Uh, And he says it in that wonderful accent that he has, the word pewter, that makes everybody laugh. But the first button, we don't see a lot of detail in it. Uh, But the second one, we do. And they all agree that it is a military button, specifically from an artillery regiment. Now, this, in my mind, has the potential to be a really big find, especially if they find anything that corroborates this. Now, we didn't get an analysis of it here, so hopefully we do get it soon. Um, if they can actually track the origin of this design, and you're one of the people who believes in a military theory here, this could be quite a good clue as to what this feature is and who made it, right? But again, we have to wait on that, and I think we would need more than just one button to do that. So anyway, that's really all for Lot 5, believe it or not. So let's head now over to the swamp. Again, not much new work done here either. In fact, this was a strange episode, honestly, Um, In a lot of ways, weirdly edited, a lot of stuff kind of left out. Um, I I know that a couple of the patrons felt the same way. Elizabeth said that uh, she just couldn't get into the episode. Maybe the editing was was at issue here. And Ginger at the end was talking about how she fell asleep during the episode, the first time she ever did in all these years. And then was talking about how they just repeat too much. There's so little that's offered in new episodes. And she wrote, this is a great line, the editors really need to he- get need help from the people who understand the significance of the search and the details we never get to see. Anyway, be that as it may, the guys are back at the swamp and they're joined by Dr. Spooner again. And what this is all about is um, dating these big tree stumps that they found on the eastern side of the swamp. Spooner says it can't be dated until they get drier weather, so we'll have to wait on these stumps as some very wet weather is heading towards the island in the form of a hurricane. Later on in the episode, however, we do get some dating information on these tree stumps before the hurricane. Again, strange editing this week. Uh, Marty and Rick have brought in Judy Rudabush, who was a researcher and was also a friend and also an assistant, I think, to Zena Halpern, and also Emiliano Sacchetti. He's via video conference. Mr. Sacchetti is a researcher who was part of last year's trip uh, to Italy with Corey and Maul. The dating information is basically 1296 to 1396. The probabilities are highest in that range there, although they kind of vary a little bit. Rick then considers this evidence of the Templar theory and also, strangely, of an astronomical alignment theory presented last year in Italy by a man named Professor Gasparini. This, again, was part of last year's Italy trip. They do a really good job of recapping it here, so we don't need to do it again. Uh, for you here in this podcast, but the editing is choppy because it they kind of make it seem like these dates are the reason why they should send Gasparini the location of other points on the island that don't have anything to do with this tree stump, like the stone triangle from there used their 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 the reports are there used to be a stone triangle pointing towards the uh, the uh, the money pit, although it is no longer there, as well as a couple of things that they call stone cairns. These were like stone rock piles in the shape of pyramids. Again, they're no longer intact. They're no longer there. I don't know that I've ever seen pictures of them, but um, be that as it may. My take is this. 
This dating is very, very cool. No doubt about that. And perhaps these other features can be placed in with some astro alignment theory, all of which tend to be a bit esoteric for my liking and also tend to be a bit easy to kind of make things fit into what you want. Um, but the thing is, Rick starts talking about how these trees were cut down and how this is essentially proof that, as he said, humans were on the island in the 1200s. The thing is, we know that. Now, I don't think Rick meant anything derogatory or, or off-putting here, but there were native peoples, <laughs> and they were, in fact, human, and they did come to Oak Island, and we know that, and we have archaeological proof that they were doing things right in this exact area. I guess my point is this. Dates can be very cool and open up a lot of debates and possibilities, but we need to open up all of the debates and possibilities not just the ones that fit into our favorite theory or the theory du jour of this episode. All right, let's finish up over at the Money Pit where Scott Barlow starts off the Money Pit proceedings here by meeting with Roger from Dumas who uh, tells them how the project is proceeding. This is the usual type of opening money pit scene this season. Not much new here. So the next scene we get uh, regarding the money pit is actually a war room session where the team is on a video call with someone named Dr. Aaron Setkoski. He is a geoscientist who has uh, results from isotope testing. I don't know what that is, but they're tests done on pieces of wood taken from the money pit. One being uh, an axe handle and the other uh, a piece of a plank. Now, this testing doesn't offer dating information, but instead offers the area of origin, right, where this wood actually grew. The results are southeast France, northern Italy, uh, which are very close to each other, right, but also coastal Norway. Now, this prompted Mark on the Patreon chat to remark, did I hear the professor right? Norway is close to northern Italy and southern France? Maybe I heard that wrong. <laughs> no, you didn't, Mark, but again... The editing here is so choppy in this episode, who knows what he really meant, right? Uh, I mean, I guess he's probably saying that whatever grows there are similar from one place to the other. I'm not sure. I'm sure there was much more to what he was saying. So the question is, why would European wood be underground in Oak Island? And also, why does European wood indicate to someone something, um, you know, that includes depositors and not searchers? I mean, neither makes a lot of sense for the plank, right? And I suppose an axe can be taken from anywhere and made anywhere. Again, it's interesting. Just not sure what it means yet. One of these artifacts came from an old caisson called RF1. So the conclusion of this little war room meeting is that the guys around the table agree that it's time they should begin uh, exploratory drilling back in that area and maybe even go a little deeper to see what they can actually find underneath. So that's with that's what we see. So with that in mind, the next scene, we see Terry Matheson leading the project, drilling down into RF1, uh, using a new hole that they've labeled F.75-8.25. I don't know. They end up bringing up a piece of PVC pipe, uh, the second such thing this season. That means that the drill that they're using here straight off course and into another area where the guys had already drilled and left this pipe inside the hole. We've talked about this previously. Now, the narrator claims the drill must have encountered what I think they refer to as an indestructible object. <laughs> 
I think that was the phrase they used. And this caused um, uh, Matt on the Patreon to, uh, well, well, let me say it like this. They're, they're of course, the narration is trying to say that the object must be a concrete vault, right? And this caused uh, the drill to drift, hitting this vault. So that prompted Matt on the Patreon to write, uh, quote, indestructible object. If that drill hits a concrete wooden box, it would go right through the freaking thing. <laughs> For sure, Mike. Uh, and also, how about a big boulder? Wouldn't that also cause the drill to go off course? But honestly, the most notable thing that was said during this entire part uh, with the money pity, especially the sequence with the pipe was brought up and how the hole was abandoned was that Marty was on site. Marty Lugina commented how the team is, quote, running out of the usual things, money and time. This got the attention of a lot of us during the live chat for a couple of reasons, too. One, running out of money? Really? Uh, besides what that could mean for the team and the future of the uh, of the drill of the dig here, it's also very strange to hear Marty talk like this these days. Now, in seasons past, this was something he talked about at the end of every season, openly spoke about the cost of all this. But that ended quite some time ago, and now hearing him talk about it, almost you know how expenses how expensive this all is, so kind of shocking, right? But I think more importantly. Running out of time. Could this season be coming to a close soon? Between the timing of what we see in this episode and this line, it does seem we are might be in for a slightly shorter season than we've been used to over the last couple of years. So like I said about the timing of the episode, the show concludes with a war room meeting to discuss preparations for an impending hurricane heading towards Nova Scotia. This is Hurricane Lee which impacted Nova Scotia on September 15th and I think 16th of last year. So considering the dig season starts around April, we can say with certainty that the timeline is getting towards the end here. Now, could they string this all out? Of course they can, especially with the insertion of another European trip. But again, this is only episode 16. You know, if it ended in episode 20... That's four more episodes. That doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility, even with stretching it out a bit. It does seem like it might fall short of that 22-episode length of last season, 22-23. But who knows? Only time will tell. Right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Diggin' Oak Island podcast. Don't forget, you can really help out the show by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash island to learn more. If this show is worth five bucks a month to you, sign up. You cancel any time. Also, if you would like to help out the podcast in another way, uh, then you could do so by giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your shows. Thanks to everybody who's done that. Um, thank you for the kind words. Don't forget, you can follow the show on Facebook. Just put in at Island in your search bar. And if you have any questions or comments that you'd like to send directly to me, you can do so via email at diggingoakisland at gmail.com. But just keep in mind, if you do send me an email or a direct message on social media, I may just answer it here in the podcast. So if for some reason you don't want that, uh, your, message, your message read to everyone, just make a note of that. All right, folks, it's crown time. So until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to Digging Oak Island.